It is our marriage class. Uh, I'm glad you're here. And I know some of you are here, um, you know, with uh, your spouse or with your fiance. And uh, others of you here are here by yourself. And that's all good. Uh, our plan is to basically, uh, because this class lasts 14 weeks, and, you know, everybody pretty much is, is gone at least one Sunday through the summer for vacation, you know, we will post these online. And so uh, if your spouse is not able to be there, uh, we're going to try to post them Sunday afternoon uh, so that you can have them listen to them, and then you can still talk together about the lessons, uh, even when they're not here, and you can do the same uh, while you're on vacation. And uh, I, I think they'll be all helpful. Uh, next week, uh, we have a, a gift for everybody that comes. It's a, a good book on, on marriage. Uh, we've got several in, in our bookstore. This is just one of them uh, called His Needs, Her Needs. And uh, I think it's uh, a really helpful book because the whole premise of the book is to try to get you to understand your spouse's perspective. And when we only think about our own perspective, uh, we're pretty much going to have a lot of extra disagreements and misunderstandings. Uh, this book is real strong for that. And so uh, next week, uh, really, we have one for, for every couple here. We'll hand those out. And uh, I hope you, you will read it. I hope you'll talk about it and uh, uh, go through it. And uh, I, I think it'll be helpful uh, to you. Uh, go ahead and get in your Bible to two places. Get to Genesis chapter 2 and uh, Gen- er, in Matthew chapter 19. Genesis 2 and uh, Matthew 19. It's great to have you in Sunday school. And uh, we normally have six adult Bible classes. And um, all of them are good. And then every summer I, uh, I guess, quote, shut down my regular adult Bible class and switch off every summer teaching on parenting and, and marriage to try to be a help to, to, to our people. Um, you should have uh, a blank uh, survey. Uh, it's both sides. And you should have a blank envelope. And uh, this week, uh, if you would, please uh, take the time and uh, fill that out privately. Uh, I mean, obviously, don't care if you and your spouse talk about what you uh, put in it uh, after you're done, but I don't want you working on it together because I want you to be able to be honest. And sometimes we feel like we can't be honest about things that are bothering us. Um, you know, we'll spend a week talking, having a, on communication, but, you know, e- even if we're good communicators, sometimes it's hard to just be honest with our spouse. And, uh, and so fill that out separately, turn it in. Everyone also should have a little piece of paper. Uh, every week when you come in, uh, I'll give you one of those. And then at the end of uh, class, uh, we just uh, we just bring them up and throw them in a pile up here. And I do ask that everybody put something on there. I don't care if you put an X. Uh, I don't care if you put on a, a enjoy your McDonald's Big Mac. Uh, but true anonymity uh, just has everybody just putting something on there. And then every week, normally, what I will do is begin uh, with answering questions that were uh, turned in. Uh, now, sometimes you'll turn them in and they're more related to uh, a later lesson, and I'll save them for that. But if you do that, that's what that little piece of paper uh, is for. Um, most of you all at least know me casually. Uh, some of you know me well. 
my wife and I will have been married 35 years um, this Thursday. Uh, is that when the 8th is? Thursday or Friday? It's the 9th? Is it? Okay. Oh, Caleb's birthday's on the 8th. That's right. See? Uh, that's really good, isn't it? Uh, I don't even remember my anniversary date. I know the right season. Uh, our son was born on the 8th. Of our third son was born the 8th of June, and then our anniversary is the 9th of June, and my sister's anniversary is the 10th of June, and so I get confused all the time. Uh, but 35 years, and, uh, you know, we have good marriage. Uh, I am not a professional counselor, uh, but, you know, I, I can tell you this. I, I would marry the same woman again. Uh, I think uh, both of us would tell you that uh, we love each other more today than we did 35 years ago when we got married. And, uh, you know, that says a lot. Uh, I've done a lot of other marriage counseling. I mean, I don't get paid for it. I've probably, I don't know, maybe counseled 60 or 70 couples before they were married. And I went down our roster and the roster of people who used to go here, uh, and I've counseled uh, at least 40 couples. Uh, And so... Uh, again, I'm, I'm not an expert, but, but I have been around a little bit, and my heart's desire is not to come to you as somebody who's some big expert on everything, but just somebody who wants to help you, And uh, because I, I really believe that uh, God wants to help our marriages. He designed the institution, and so um, I do challenge you that uh, if you would take and try to practice the things we talk about uh, through this class, I can guarantee you uh, it will make your marriage better. Uh, They're not my things. Uh, These are biblical principles from our creator, and everything he wrote down is for our good. And so I just strongly recommend you trust God. And uh, now we are, through the course of this class, we're going to deal very clearly and very frankly Uh, with issues that uh, sometimes are not talked about in church. Uh, And I think uh, basically in the long haul, that's, quote, hurt church people, you know, because we have just swept a lot of things under the rug that are real problems and real sources of conflict and disagreement in our homes. And uh, we're going to take time and talk about them, but from a biblical perspective and answer any questions uh, you turn in. And uh, But what that does, it, it really makes this class, you know, inappropriate for people other than the kind of people that are, that are here, either people who are uh, planning to be married sometime soon or, uh, you know, people who are married uh, already. Uh, it should be in your Bible in Genesis chapter 2. Have you ever thought about this before we uh, read the scripture? Uh, what percentage of people do you suppose love each other when they walk down a marriage aisle? 99? I mean, it's probably pretty high, right? Uh, what percentage of people that walk down a marriage aisle intend for their marriage to last? 99? I mean, it's a super high number. I don't know what the percentage is. But since, I mean, we're told that 50% of marriages end in divorce, it becomes very obvious to anybody who stops and think, thinks about it that loving each other and good intentions are not enough. It's a good place to start, but loving each other and good intentions are not enough to make our marriage last. Um, there are a couple of things um, I'm going to repeat as we begin every one of these marriage classes, and I hope over the course of time, 
you will let them sink into your heart. And, you know, if you're a note taker, don't worry if you don't get them all written down uh, because I'm going to repeat these every week because they're just good things to lodge in our heart every week. Uh, here's the things that I hope we will all agree on by the time we're done. Number one, nothing can be taken back that's been done to this point. What's done is done. Number two, all any of us can hope to change is today and tomorrow. They can change. Here's number three. If you're struggling, you didn't get where you are in a day, you're not going to get out in a day. Uh, But by the grace of God, you can't get out. Number four. You can only control one person in this world. And so I ask that you focus on that one. If your intention for being here is so that your spouse would receive some sort of correction from me in in coming, you're, you're missing the point of this class. Okay? Uh, Now, you may be hoping your spouse hears this or that, but you have to come to this class with the intention of, okay, Lord, what is it that I can do better to help my home and marriage? Number five, there's always hope as long as God is involved. I mean, God is love. Uh, there are people, I'm sure, uh, you know them and you may, there may be some sitting here and you say, you know what? I don't even love them anymore. Uh, because God is love, you can love them again. Uh, there's people and there may be some of them sitting here and you look back and you say to yourself, you know what? I don't even know if I really loved them when I got married. Uh, because God is love. You can begin to love, uh, Whatever the situation is, because God is love, you can love. Uh, Someone sarcastically says love is a temporary insanity curable by marriage. Someone also sarcastically said love is blind, but marriage restores its sight. Somebody sarcastically said all marriages are happy. It's living together together afterwards that causes all the problems. Uh, one poet said this, to keep your marriage brimming with love in a full cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it, and whenever you're right, shut up. Listen, God is love, and you can love fully. Here's number six. No one's destined to repeat the home in which you were raised if your home was bad. You can succeed. I won't ask you to lift your hands, but I will bet there are very few hands that would come up in this room of people who both of you have parents who did not divorce and have happy, healthy marriages. That's not the background of most people. But no matter what your background is, you can succeed. Here's number seven. No one's assured to have a great marriage if you're raised in a great home. You can fail. Just because your parents had a great marriage doesn't make yours great. Here's number eight. The person to whom you're married right now is a marriage you're supposed to be working on with the person to whom you're supposed to be married. Now, people have a lot of trouble with that sometimes when their marriage is struggling. Um, You know, that's true regardless of how your marriage started. Uh, Some people went too far physically and they just thought, well, at least I'm going to marry them. Some people started pregnant with a child on the way and they thought, well... At least we're going to make this right. Some people were living in impressive and and painful homes. And you just wanted out. And you saw marriage as the easiest way out. Uh, Some, you just felt guilty living together. And you just got married to soothe your your conscience. 
Some started out uh, when you were very young and naive, and now that you're older, you say, well, I was just so dumb then. But no matter why, how or why it started, the marriage you're in now is the marriage you're supposed to be working in on, and the person to whom you're married now is a person to whom you are supposed to be married. Uh, now, if we're ever going to make our marriages good and healthy, uh, we are going to have to go back to its beginning. See, God himself is the author of the institution of marriage. The word marriage and the institution of marriage, they do not belong to a government. They do not belong to a church. Uh, They belong to God. And so let's read about how he started it in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. It says, And the Lord God said, Genesis 2, 18, The Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We see here that uh, God uh, was the one who made the observation that it wasn't good for man to be alone. Did you see that in, in, in verse 18? God said it is not good that the man should be alone. See, if you stop and think about this, technically Adam was not alone. Uh, there were all kinds of animals and birds. He had just named them. God was there. Um, but There was something God knew from the beginning that Adam would not be good alone, but God had to wait to let Adam kind of come to that conclusion. And and what God did to cause that to happen is to have Adam name all these pairs of animals. And in looking at all these pairs of animals and naming them, uh, Adam come to this conclusion, wow, everybody has somebody but me. And so Adam needed to realize, wow, you know what, I need somebody too. Uh, despite having a right relationship with God, despite having a good understanding of nature and the world around him, Adam needed someone special to be emotionally and physically complete. Uh, By the way, it is still true generally today, most men don't do very well by themselves. Uh, Nearly always a woman will function much better by herself than a man will. Uh, I know that's not universally true, but that that is generally true. It was like that from the beginning. Uh, We see God was the one who designed Eve to to complete Adam. That's how verse 18 closed out. I will make him and help me for him. Uh, She was a helpful counterpart, specially designed to complete Adam. Eve was the most unique, beautiful, and complex of all the creation that God had just made. By the way, unique. Uh, if we studied this, we would find that Adam uh, and all the animals were made from the dirt. 
uh, Eve was made from a rib of Adam. She was very unique. If we went to study the order of creation, what we would find is that as creation goes on, uh, the complexity of what God is doing becomes increasingly complex as a week goes on. I mean, he makes the earth on the first day and the air uh, on, the, on the, the sky on the, on the second day and the land and plants on the third day and the fourth day. He makes the sun and moon and the stars on the fifth day, the fishes and the fowls. And the sixth day, early in the morning, he makes animals. And then he makes Adam and then he makes Eve. And, and so the most complicated creature... In all of creation, the most beautiful, the most unique, the most complicated creature in all creation is a woman. And by the way, it is still generally true today that most women are most fulfilled when they're helping someone and pouring their life into someone. Now, unfortunately, that isn't always her husband. Uh, It may be her children. But just like Adam uh, was not good alone, uh, Eve was fulfilled, fulfilling him. Now, almost immediately after creation, uh, Adam and Eve say their wedding vows. We read those in verse 23 and 24. Adam said, notice it says, Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, keep your hand there. You should have one hand in Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is going to be asked about marriage, and he's going to quote these verses uh, from Genesis as only the author of Genesis can can use them. Notice in in Matthew chapter 19 in, in verse uh, four, he answered, or verse three, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and he said unto them, have you not read uh, that he which made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man uh, put asunder. Notice that Jesus here attributes the words, uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to one flesh. Did you notice that he attributes them to God? Uh, Verse 4 Uh, he answered and said to them, have you not read it? He which made them at the beginning made them male and female and set. That's kind of an interesting thing. That Jesus said that God said these words and Genesis said that Adam said them. I'll tell you what I think happened. It's just an opinion. I think they were wedding vows. And I think God said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. And Adam said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. God said, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And Adam said, and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And I think he looked at Eve, and she said the same thing. Um, Go back in your Bible to Genesis. Because it's kind of interesting, then, after this wedding ceremony, look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. And this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him, male and female created them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Notice 
that a wife taking her husband's name is not a cultural tradition. It's a biblical tradition. From the day they were married, God called their name Adam. Um, you say, Brother Wally, what's the point of going back to the beginning like this to start our class? I, I didn't come here for this. I, I come to hear you talk about how we can better communicate and how we can better handle situations where we disagree and and, 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 and how we can better handle uh, and uh, have less disagreements about our physical relationship. We'll, we'll get to all that stuff, but it is very important that we understand this basic thing. God is the author of marriage. Society is not the author of marriage. The government is not the author of marriage. Some controlling man is not the author of marriage. Does everybody know what this is? It's a DVD, right? Or CD, whatever you want to call it. What's the message of this CD, Alicia? Your hair looks nice today. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you write on DVDs and communicate to people? Is it going to communicate as much or as well as the author designed this to communicate to people? I mean, I think it holds like 700 megabytes or something of information. If you're writing on it, you're just going to put a few words. See, everything functions best when we do it like the author and creator and designer designer made it to function. See, there's a lot of people, and what they do is, is they want God's benefits from marriage. They want security. They want love. They want acceptance. They want companionship. They want all the things that God designed marriage to give us. But what they do is they want to write on the CD and do marriage their way. I mean, understand that we don't get God's results doing marriage our way. If we want all God intended, and God our Father is a good and a loving God, if we want all that he intended from the institution of marriage, then the first questions we actually have to ask ourselves is, how does he teach us to conduct ourselves? What does he teach about husbands and wives? What does he teach about that relationship? God is the author of marriage, not a society, not a government, not some hopelessly romantic woman who wanted some special day that she'd dreamed of all her life. Marriage is not oppressive. Marriage is not a ball and chain around your leg. Marriage is an institution designed by God to be a blessing and help to people. And so if you and I are ever going to make our marriages right, we must first go back to the one who started it and see what he intended it to be. Which brings up a good good question. What did God intend the institution of marriage to be? Now, we already saw a few things. I mean, God started marriage with a man and a woman. I mean, like you've heard a billion times, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Okay? The government doesn't get to vote. On what marriage is. Uh, God started their vows with a priority on their own relationship. Remember, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother. Not the parent-child relationship. There's a lot of marriages are not what they should be because the adults involved in the marriage have an unhealthy relationship with their parents. And an unhealthy relationship with their own children. 
Understand that when God started the institution of marriage, it was going to cost him some affection. He was the father. When he said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother, I mean, God knew that some of the time and some of the affection and some of the conversation that he used to get was now going to go to someone else. How did God start the institution of marriage? God started their vows with them cleaving together to not be put asunder by any creature. God intended marriage to be a lifelong commitment. Now, I don't say that in any way to shame or demean uh, anybody here who's on their second or third or fourth or fifth or sixth marriage. I'm just saying for everybody who's on your first one, God intended you to stick it out for life. And for everybody that's on their sixth one, God intended for the one you're in to stick for the rest of your life. Notice that last phrase in Genesis chapter 2 and um, verse... i got to go back to Genesis chapter 2. Verse, verse 24 says, and, uh, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Notice the physical relationship began after marriage began, not before. Which brings up another good question. What constitutes a marriage in God's eyes? I mean, I've had multiple people over the years tell me, well, we've been together, therefore we're married in God's eyes. No, you're not. Go put it in your Bible to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is interacting with a woman at the well in the Samaritan city of, I think it's near Sychar. And we'll get to this in one of our Sunday morning messages because we're our Sunday morning series is on Jesus dealing with individuals, uh, and we will cover this story eventually in, in that series. But after Jesus has a conversation with her, uh, notice when he gets to the part of the conversation where he's trying to get her to admit that she's a sinner so, so, so she can be saved, uh, notice what happens in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and, and come hither. Uh, by the way, he knew she didn't have a husband. He was looking for her to confess. Verse 17, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. And that saidst thou truly. So she didn't have one husband and four lovers. She had five husbands, and the guy she was living with then was not her husband. According to Jesus, marriage is more than a physical relationship. Now, it is true that the Bible teaches that uh, a physical relationship is a physical oneness, but there's a separate oneness that marriage is intended to be. See, the original marriage was a commitment before God to leave the home in which you were raised, the parents who raised you, to cleave to the spouse that you chose for the rest of your life. The first marriage did not begin the first time Adam and Eve had sex. The first marriage occurred when they committed themselves to each other before God as their witness. Marriage has nothing to do with the venue you choose, whether you get choose to get married in a church or a fellowship hall or, or outdoors. 
Uh, marriage has nothing to do with some denominational approval of, of what you did. Marriage is two people who willingly choose to commit themselves to stay together before God. Now, some people would argue that uh, you could add to that, that it has to be somehow in some way sanctioned by the government, and, and that's a, a, a reasonable discussion that people could have. But, but the bottom line is, is that physical relationships don't constitute marriage in, in God's eyes. And in what we just read, we basically read the two most basic foundational principles for a healthy marriage. Did you catch them in there, in that verse we just read? Verse 24 of Genesis 2, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. That's the first foundational principle for marriage. You must leave your parents to have a healthy marriage. Now, I'm not talking about that you end up back in their home because of some temporary hardship or special circumstance. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying a healthy marriage leaves the parents. Now, obviously, uh, we're supposed to honor our father and mother all of our life. That's in the Bible. Uh, marriage doesn't terminate that relationship, but marriage is supposed to be a big change in that relationship. Now, as hard as it is for some of you couples to realize that are younger, you know, parents sometimes struggle with that change. And they will struggle with it because if they were being honest, they would say, do you know what? I did not make any healthy relationships really outside of my children. And I did not build up healthy other uses of my time. And so when my children got married, I, I, I was lost. Uh, some adult children struggle with this change. And there's a lot of different reasons uh, for that. We'll get into some of them as the class go, goes on. But, I mean, understand this. this. This is the key. The Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord. And so that when you're a child and under your parents' roof, even if you're not a child, you should obey your parents. Uh, the commandment is honor your father and mother. And that's something we do all our life. Obedience is initiated by the parent. They say to you, do this. Honor is initiated by the child. I give you this. And they're two very different things. Uh, if you're outside your parents' house, you do not owe your parents obedience. Period. Now, some of them, uh, because they don't understand the Bible and their role in your life, might still think they have it coming, but they don't. You don't owe them. You don't owe them obedience if you're out of their house. But all your life, you owe them honor. All your life. Uh, I'm kind of expecting because on the uh, survey that I gave you to fill out, I'm expecting some uh, questions and comments like uh, my spouse tells their mother uh, our private business. I'm expecting some comments like, um, you know, my spouse talks to their parent uh, about everything and they never talk to me about anything. I'm expecting some remarks in there that will say something like, you know what, we don't even have a life of our own because uh, my parents or, or her parents, or, or they just demand all of our time and attention. 
come expecting some things like that. You will never have a healthy marriage if you do not leave your parents. Again, don't misunderstand me. It is not a termination in that relationship. Uh, I think it is a special new step in that relationship. I think you could have a great relationship with your parents, but understand there is a way that is supposed to change, and your new priority from the day you're married should be your spouse. You can be angry with me all you want to be for saying what I just said. And by the way, uh, for the most part, that's worse in the church than the world. For the most part. Uh, But I'm not giving you my plan. I didn't design these wedding vows. I'm just teaching you what the scriptures teach by the God who created the institution of marriage. By the way, this is a good time before we go on to the second thing, just to pause and and thank God for godly parents. And some of you have them. You know, parents who really did their best to raise you right and point you in a good direction and parents who do really try to respect your independence as a couple uh, now that you're married. And, and, and thank God for them. Not, not everybody has that. Did you catch the second principle? Uh, foundational principle for marriage, Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Here's the second foundational principle. You must cleave to your spouse to have a healthy marriage. You see, leaving your parents is not enough if you fail also to cleave to your spouse. Uh, It's not enough to leave your parents. You must cleave to your spouse. Cleave means to hold on to, uh, to cling. It means to be close to something or, or someone. See, cleaving to your spouse, is a, it's an investment of your time and your emotions and your effort. Cleaving to your spouse affects your priorities. It affects your hobbies. It affects the time you spend on your hobbies. It affects your friends. It affects the time you spend with single friends. Cleaving to your spouse is getting close. Uh, one of the greatest enemies to any healthy marriage is selfishness. And by the way, one of the reasons that for most people, the first year of their marriage is the most difficult year of their marriage is A, because they didn't do much to figure out what to do to have a healthy marriage, and B, they come into that marriage very selfish. And the fact of the matter is, if you've been married for very long, one of the first things you're going to realize is, I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. And then what's going to happen is after you have children, you're going to look back and say, wow, I didn't realize how selfish I was till I had kids. And we have blinders on to to our selfishness. And and what it does is it causes us to struggle to cleave to our spouse. Listen to me. God's priority of our earthly relationships is your spouse should be the closest earthly relationship you have. That doesn't mean we don't make time for God. That doesn't mean we don't have time for friends. That doesn't mean we don't have time for hobbies. It doesn't mean we don't have time for ministry. I mean, those are, if you, your spouse is demanding you have no other relationships and no other hobbies and spend, uh, you know, time with no one else, understand that's a reflection of their own insecurity uh, rather than God's plan for your home. You know, there are a lot of things that make uh, 
a balanced relationship. And a balanced relationship is not just you and your spouse. A balanced relationship, so you have relationships with other people too. You have relationships with your parents. You have relationships with other Christians. You have all kinds of relationships. It's just that among all those relationships, first and foremost, number one should be your spouse. No earthly relationship ought to take priority over you and your spouse's relationship. And as we go through this class, we'll talk about that more from a practical perspective and and, and what that means. Uh, Leaving your parents' control and care is not enough. To start and keep a good marriage, you must cleave your spouse. And remember, the person you're married to now is the person to whom you are supposed to be married. So over the next 14 weeks, we'll be going issue by issue and practically dealing with God's plan for these areas of our marriage. Um, Since God started marriage... He gets to establish what it takes to have a successful and fulfilling one like he intended. And we will never have that until we understand God's plan for our marriage. Psychologists, Hollywood, anybody you name that makes all kinds of pretend relationships for books and stories, they do not have the key to success in this. God does. We'll be talking about expectations. We'll be talking about roles in the home. We'll be talking about the physical relationship of a husband and wife. We'll be talking about communication. We'll be talking about fair fighting. We'll be talking about having conflict with your family. We'll be talking about having conflict over the kids. And uh, all kinds of different things over the next week. And so if you have any questions on today's lesson, just put them on that little sheet of paper. And if you don't have a question about today's lesson, just put an X or some, uh, Brother Waller, your hair looks great today, Uh, whatever you want to put on there, and then just fold it up and stick them in a little pile uh, over here. And if you could, please be committed to filling out that survey. No names in the envelope, no names in the survey, just fill it out, and uh, we'll be Uh, talking about and gleaning stuff from that survey throughout the next 14 uh, weeks. You actually have three minutes, uh, so you can fill out that question uh, thing and um, start in your questionnaire. God bless you. You're dismissed.